This is the Dreadful Podcast, the 499th episode of TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, finale of season one, Day of the Dead. City of Angels needs us, pal. Amen, brother. All of this was about a damn freeway. It's not just a freeway. It's population control. He cut off the Chicanos with a barrier of concrete and steel. You put them in the ghetto. And then you put up another freeway around the coloreds, and then the Jews, and then the Chinese. They're not building roads. They're building walls. This is not the United States of America. Welcome back, fellow Penny Faithful. This is TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about the finale of season one of Penny Dreadful City of Angels Day of the Dead. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I'm your other host, Chris. And rounding out the group, uh, I'm one of your other hosts, John. Yes, I get sausage today. Sausage today, like <laughs> Councillor Townsend. Hooray! We all know Councillor Townsend loves sausage. Absolutely. So, yeah. What a lucky chap mm-hmm. he is. A big plateful of sausages. Absolutely. Do you think it was German sausage or American sausage that was actually living in Germany for a while and came back to America? Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering whether it was a big bratwurst or whether it's some kind of American lynx or whatever. Mm. It looked like lynx, but I like that that's the end of his diet after all of these episodes where he's being told that he must stay (laughs) in the diet. Now he's like, no, no, we're celebrating today. You get a nice big breakfast served to you in your office, which is very cool. I do like that. I'm not oh, going to lie. Well, yeah, there are there are some good things about the 30s, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> just some, just some. Exactly. But welcome back to our wonderful Penny Faithful. We are on the final episode of our discussions about Penny Dreadful, City of Angels. As I mentioned up front, this is the 499th episode of TV Podcast Industries, which means, because I can do maths, the next episode is our 500th episode of TV Podcast Industries, and we're going to do something special for our 500th episode. We're going to be talking about all of the shows that we've covered over the course of the last six years of podcasting. I wow. feel old. Yeah, I feel old. That's <laughs> only six years. A six-year-old does not feel old. They really should. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's like they've seen some stuff. <laughs> like, like it's it, this, especially the last six months. Yeah, yeah. That that's at least aged me another ten years. So we're gonna call it sixteen and a half years. I think it's the amount of content that we have mm. squeezed into the the six years mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like twenty two episode seasons from Gotham, whether it was final season of Hannibal, yeah. all the Marvel Netflix stuff, movies, mm-hmm. and certainly I suppose in the last sort of twelve months, diversifying a bit more uh, with. Things like The Witcher, The Watchmen, The Boys, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Talks about a lot, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. 
But more importantly, we've also grown our community amazingly. Mm-hmm. Our fellow Penny Faithful and industrialists and defenders and everything, you're all here and we're glad to have you listening to us break down all of the fun. Exactly. If you want to recap on any of our episodes that we have done over the um, six years, you can pop on over to our website, tvpodcastindustries.com, where you can uh, listen to any of the podcasts you want or join any good or evil podcast catcher of your choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can pick them all up there. Uh, Speaking of breakdowns, let's get into our discussion about this episode. The final episode of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. We will be doing a wrap-up about the whole series. Uh, We're going to bring on board um, Ray, who joined us for our coverage of the first three seasons of the original Penny Dreadful. And we just want to get his thoughts joined in with ours, because I'd love to know what his opinion, another fan of the original three series, I'd love to get his opinion on what he thought of this very different uh, Penny Dreadful show. Yeah, and I'll only be using my German accent small kind of beat during that series. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As our listeners know, you only get about uh, two or three seconds of your German accent edited out of the three or four hours of uh, German accent that you usually record <laughs> yes. every episode. <laughs> Chris normally speaks in a, in a fake German accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's all about the bunt, you know, all about that bunt, that bunt. Anyway. Excellent, excellent. Oh Let's... my God, I actually really want all all about that bunt into this tune of it's all about the bass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that could work. <laughs> I was wondering what tune you were going for there, Chris, but that's nothing yeah, Most new. people do. <laughs> uh, let's get into the discussion about episode 10 of City of Angels, Day of the Dead, the finale for season one. Maybe getting a season two in the future, but otherwise, this is the finale of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Uh, the episode was directed by Richard J. Lewis. Um, started out working as a director back in the 90s. Uh, recently, he directed four episodes of the wonderful Westworld, um, which I know I've loved watching all three seasons of that show so far. It's been really, really good. Uh, this is the only episode of Penny Dreadful so far. Uh, that Richard has directed, but I think he did a great job. There's some really good stuff in this episode. I know that just just as a as an example, the scene at the opening of this episode uh, apparently took 80 hours of filming. Uh, to I set can up. imagine, uh, yeah, just that. Uh, that marched through the streets of the Pachucos and everything that was going on took 80 hours alone wow. for that one episode. You know, you remember the times we used to think that an episode was kind of filmed in one week and put and put out, you know, uh, that that's not the times when you're looking at a Showtime show or a HBO show. There's certainly a lot more work that goes into these mini movies uh, as they seem to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the, the 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 day of the dead scene at the end mm-hmm. where we literally had the one thing I, I'll definitely give Richard and probably John as well is that they they the casting and the extras were always doing something and it wasn't just standing there pretending to talk mm-hmm. it's like you during the dance hall in the, the cat uh, bar or where they um like in this where like I I rewatched that riot scene about twice, mm-hmm. and each time they were like, I spotted different people doing different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's great. Really good direction, definitely. Uh, as Chris mentioned, though, the episode was, of course, written by showrunner John Logan. Uh, he usually takes on board most of the episodes of the show, so he did uh, write the last two episodes. John, do you want to give us the synopsis for the final episode of Penny Dreadful City of Angels, season one? Sure. As the news of Diego's lynching spreads through the Crimson Cat, Flyrico tries to placate the volatile crowd, while Rio argues for vengeance. 
As the Pachucos march down the main street, Peter Craft, Elsa and the boys are trapped in their car as a riot uh, rages around them. Tiago tries to help Mateo as he witnesses the death of Fly Rico at the hands of Rio. And in the aftermath of the riots, Townsend celebrates the sudden rise of his political fortunes. Tiago and Molly face reality about their relationship and Molly confronts her mother, Miss Adelaide leading to some unexpected and shocking news. Elsewhere, Lewis and Tiago rush to protect Brian from the Nazis, but learning of his new research into a bomb, things take a dark twist for the life of Brian. Finally, the Vega family gathers at the grave of their father and husband for a moving Day of the Dead ceremony, while Tiago is visited by Magda, the builders begin to knock down Belvedere Heights. We had discussed in the last episode how much they had to accomplish if they were closing out the series uh, in the final episode. I do think they covered a lot of threads and closed off some of the major threads in the final episode and definitely laid out quite a few major uh, storylines to go on for the next season. But the opening of this episode, really, that I loved I loved that opening uh, as we had Santa Murta walking through the crowd in the Crimson Cat, really showing that there's something bad going to happen here to all of them. Yeah. Because I really like that opening just in the darkness as you see uh, her face completely alone. And then as the light rises above her, you, you see everybody dancing around her. And she kind of focuses on the first person that's going to die in the episode, basically, which I just thought was a lovely little touch. The first person that she looks at in the room is Flyrico uh, at the bar. So um, so just a lovely little touch of, of having that presence of Santa Muerta because she has been um, outside of things for most of the episodes, really. We've seen her come and gather the bodies of of, uh, of some of the dead characters during the season. Um, but this time, kind of, this feels like a premonition of what's going to happen uh, later on in the episode. We all knew it was going to be a big episode for a, for a finale, but, uh, but I like that little touch at the beginning to kind of say, this is where it's all going to begin. Definitely. I mean, I think the thing is, it's Santa Musa, I like the... The outline, the image, the costume mm-hmm. is so amazing. It's, I mean, just the intricacy of the sort of daggered headpiece, the spiky <laughs> headpiece with the skulls and, and just the cloth. Like, so like the, the outline, the silhouette is just really iconic mm-hmm. uh, and really, um, just very stunning. Um, which is such a great visual treat that a director or a writer can work with knowing the look of that i i kind of was expecting her because it was so dark before obviously the the hustle and bustle of the crimson cat came in i thought it was going to be in belvedere heights underneath the the lamp of mm-hmm. where diego was Absolutely. um hanging just because it was so dark i thought you know she was kind of walk and then be covered in lamplight yeah and um, so uh, it was interesting that they didn't maybe do that and then maybe she then moved onto the Crimson Cat and you had a similar kind of thing. Um, That would have been, I think, really, really good. Uh, But, uh, yeah, no, such a striking image. Mm -hmm. It was fantastic to see that. Personally, I would have preferred a a follow-up continuation where uh, post-Fly Rico's departure, if you will, Mm -hmm. she was there to collect, similar to what we saw with the the child who was yeah. gunned down. Uh, I think that just would have continued the thread that she doesn't care about the living, but she's there to collect the, the, the dead. Yeah. 
Um, and I think that or, and or actually the collection of Diego, I think would have been good. She grabs Diego, walks him into the dark, and then continues walking and finds Fly Rico and watches there. I think that probably would have slowed down that opening, but I think it would have made more narrative yeah. sense yeah. personally. Uh, again, looks beautiful from a costume design. Mm-hmm. I, I laugh at the daggered headdress. She does hug someone, which we'll discuss later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There was a point in that hugging where you could see that one of the, the parts of the headdress was nearly just going right into the other actor's eye. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, that would be, because you just you'd feel it hovering in your peripheral <laughs> oh, vision. Absolutely. And you'd be like, Don't sneeze. If you sneeze, I'm blinded. <laughs> it's the only hug on screen that requires a stunt double. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it may have a rubber headdress for times when, uh, when Seth Muerta has to, <laughs> has to hug somebody, maybe. Um, but yeah, there, I, I totally agree with you, Chris. I was kind of going, that's the best acting all season when somebody has to act that they're not getting poked in the eye by a metal <laughs> uh, metal pointy thing. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's just a, a little impression of the opening. I know we have loads of thoughts about this episode. John, do you want to kick us off with your big moment from the episode? Yeah, my my big point is this isn't the time for Peacemakers, Mia Moore, um, and the riot in downtown, and just some of the things that obviously come out of that. I mean, just first off, I think the just the, the set the and the riot – looks amazing and um, you get that feel of hustle and bustle down a really crowded um drive in, in los angeles mm-hmm. uh with cars sort of choking up it you know you've got the the tram line going down the middle and then just this wave of people walking through uh all the cars um and uh, i i think that just it just looked really good it really felt like they were on um, weren't in a set, but mm-hmm. were actually uh, on location. I, I thought it. I thought it looked really great. And like hearing that it's eighty odd uh, or eighty plus hours to do, mm-hmm. you, you really get that feeling. Um, I like the fact you know it links to the whole. I think you had mentioned previously the Zoot Suit riots uh, of uh, the early nineteen forties. Um, and certainly you see that with uh, the sailors um, getting involved here yeah. uh, on, on the streets. I think uh, the actual uh, Zoot Suit Riots of 1943, it, it, was me- it was members of the armed forces that were being housed in Southern California, and a lot of the violence was between them and uh, the... The Mexican community and the Pachucas, um, yes, specifically yeah, the targeting anybody wearing the type of zoot suits that these uh, that these kids are wearing at the time. Yeah, they were focusing on them as if they were a gang, and anybody wearing that type of clothing was uh, was a target for them. Effectively, yeah, uh, the, the, yeah. I, I would say they took inspiration and or the idea, I suppose, of uh, of an attack on these kids happening at the time. The zoot suit riots are very different. They happened over a three day period uh, during 1943. It was a, a much, much bigger situation. I would expect if you had a couple more seasons, given what we have in this episode, the Pachucas aren't gone by any means. So uh, I, I think this is just an indication of the type of attacks you could have and the type of tension that's going on between the Pachucas and other people. Um, but this isn't the only representation we're going to have of the zoot suit riots. If, the show does continue on past a season one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually, the one thing I'll just say, and I'll, I'll throw back to John is they set up the sailors last episode, the sailors going into the bar and passing was a, a, a pass flyby scene 
in the last episode. Very good, very good. Which I I thought was just amazing. Mm -hmm. So basically, they were those sailors or similar sailors were in center focus, but not focused on. In the scene where everyone was going to the Crimson Cat. Very good, very good. Yeah, great. So stuff. I was like, they were showing that the the sailors around these sailors just didn't pour out. Yeah, because uh, I was like, that's a bit weird. And then I thought back and went, they focused on it without actually saying they were focusing yeah. on it. Yeah, and I was like, clever. So it's not just, oh hey look, a load of sailors. Uh-huh. Are. Yeah. They kind of showed that they were all on shore leave and there was a load of sailors in shot. Yeah, and I was just like, oh well, I suppose it's L.A. They've got a they've got a naval base of course that's what's going to happen yeah. uh but yeah makes sense Never. yeah and it, it links to the the zoot suit riots and the other thing about it was the pachucos because of the style of their clothes so cloth was rationed mm-hmm. so the one of the justifications that was done was just that it was unpatriotic to be wasting cloth with these baggy oh, yeah. clothes um, because it was rationed so heavily, yeah, uh, which would, yeah, seems would. crazy. In, in uh, but that was a reasoning. Well, it was, and that was that was exactly what it was challenged when it came into yeah. this time during the war. You know, the rationing was absolutely going on for everybody, but it felt to the Mexicans and particularly the Pachucos that they were being targeted specifically uh, by organizations saying that they were being unpatriotic yeah. so that they could be attacked. It was exactly. inciting violence against them uh, by many organizations. I think the press were quite notable in how they were attacking uh, Mexican communities during that time and, and inciting violence against them uh, by the way they were, the wording that they used to describe any form of, uh, of story about the Mexican community at that time was, uh, was inciting violence effectively. So, um, so definitely that's what was going on. A bit later in time, but I think the whole concept here seems to be these tensions existed from very early on. We know all the way throughout the series how much racism is involved in this show and how much they talk about it. So this is an indication of that racism boiling over in the streets for that one night and very quickly the National Guard being called in to, uh, to shut down that whole area and everybody effectively being put under house arrest and having uh, roadblocks on their roads because, hey, you're Mexican, you must be at fault here is kind of the attitude. So yeah, um, so, yeah so I think that's, again, just a representation of the racism inherent in the time. No, absolutely. Uh, just before we go on, I will say uh, we do have somewhat... Uh, Nostradamus elements in John Logan and Damon Lindelof mm-hmm. in their ability to predict the pulse of the world well, yeah. while they're writing that then potentially takes a another year to 18 months later and the time that this is happening it's so prevalent yeah. and important absolutely it's amazing um I want I want their ability to see the future uh, I will probably use it for evil, um, but, or at least gain, cause you know, like, who doesn't want an almanac of all, the, of all the sports winnings, <laughs> go sports and go back to the future references. Uh-huh. But anyway, uh, I just, it's, it's, it's crazy that this was probably written 18 months ago mm-hmm. and it's even more, the writing was on the wall, but it's even more now. So yeah, important. It's really sad that the things they're predicting are. Sadly, these tragic yes, events that have been going on, like that's, that's kind of the challenge. But it's the, hi- it's, yeah. it's the history repeating. Exactly. So, I mean, it, 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 it does. It, it smacks of Nostradamus clairvoyant, uh, prediction and, and so on. But as well, it, it's saying this has happened. Um, and if we don't change, it will happen again yeah. and it will happen again. And that's exactly the point, uh, and the, 
position we're we're in now is that um, people haven't been listened to and taken seriously in order to change things. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think um, it, it's really, it, it's really a sort of present that, that it is now. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, you know, as riots go, this looks really great. <laughs> so to speak, yes. you know, um, this, this was a, this was just shot really nicely, has that link to the zoot suits. And, you know, it, it feels, it, it feels in part like a, a natural reaction from the Pachucos, but I love the 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 conflict between Flyrico uh, and Rio mm-hmm. at the bar, where you know you, you have Flyrico as this voice of reason. You know, is it for personal reasons? Is it selfish reasons that he doesn't want to get killed? But you know that idea that we have a path that we can go down, which to, uh, this evening, which is one of dignity to go and bury uh, Diego and show that we're familiar. Um, And that's kind of versus that inflammatory voice of Rio, um, you know, who is taking the microphone off of him. Now is not the time for calm. Uh, And in a sense has kind of teed up Mateo here with then her taking Flyrico aside and, and and murdering him with um, the, the, the Pachuca knife, the the flick knife there um with the line this isn't the time for peacemakers mm-hmm. um and handing that that blade to mateo uh, with the king is dead long live the king um which i like the slight sort of sort of hold back from mateo uh, but ultimately um accepts that knife mm-hmm. uh, and in doing so effectively the lead um of the of the Pachucos and certainly Rio has been doing everything to um, provide at least incendiary thoughts for Mateo so that he will be not the calming balm that maybe Fly Rico was, but um, will be this more inflammatory um, pro action, pro activist yeah. um, approach. And, and we'll probably um, take direction from Rio. Um, you know, what we were talking about last episode was a lot of the, uh, slips that have been happening for all of the Magda characters and the people they're trying to influence that there are a lot of the, a lot of the people they were trying to influence were um were falling out of uh of her plans effectively including Flyrico here um where we see him effectively he has a great opportunity here to stoke up a riot and stoke stoke up killing and burning in the streets and right in front of Rio is going, no, no, that's not the way. Yeah. Um, and she instantly gives the look to Mateo there. Uh, Mateo probably knows that that's, that's the point where she will take out Flyrico. If, uh, if he has to get rid of the leader and move it on to Mateo, that's the moment when Rio is saying that to, to Mateo. She said it to him verbally in an earlier episode. They had the conversation yeah, exactly. where, he said, where she said, you are the future leader. But at that moment, I think uh, Mateo probably realizes that Flyrico is not long for the leadership. Um, mm. Yeah, definitely. I, I think what's really good here, and it kind of links into another part of this, is that you have um, you have Tiago trying to look after his younger brother. There's that whole moment where he says goodbye, brother, uh, after Mateo has um, rescued Tiago mm-hmm. from being beaten up by uh, like three, four sailors. Uh, but I, I love the fact that he ho- he's got the bloody knife as. Uh, Tiago comes around the corner to see Flyrico dead. And I was thinking, you know, he sees that aftermath, but does he think that 
Uh, Mateo has killed Flyrico here. Mm. It's another notch uh, of um, another person murdered here Maybe. for Mateo. But um, I, I liked as well that that attack, um, you know, being saved by Mateo, but the attack from the sailors, you know, has this other implication about um, for for Tiago, um, where he realizes it's absolutely does not matter whether he's a cop or a criminal and that he's just another mexican to them and so you know this is um it's a bit of a pivotal moment in terms of that realization i think for tiago here Mm -hmm. he has you know he's in a white dominated lapd he's made detective he is in love with a, a white uh, lady in Molly, mm-hmm. and yet his badge, any of that is for nothing out on the streets. Yeah. Um, he's just another Mexican and can be subject to this violence, racism, uh, as always. And then that spills over, uh, with Molly, uh, the following day, uh, to, to the point where, you know, he's, he does cannot you know that that it's impossible the situation that they're in their relationship uh, is impossible Mm -hmm. you know let's go outside and hold hands and see what happens um you know yeah and i I think that's really interesting because i think as well it uh, you know what is tiago's state of mind here is he um maybe going to a darker place in in his life at the moment so i I think that's I think that's really um, an interesting moment here with the attack by the sailors, yeah. and certainly coupled to everything else that happens, yeah, definitely. Um, as yeah. well. I do, I do wonder if the attack by the sailors happens as quickly as it does, so he doesn't see Matteo holding the knife because it is a really fast scene, um, and part of the re- part of the reason I think that is because we don't see any fallout at all throughout the rest of the episode. Uh, we don't see, even when Tiago is talking to Mateo, we don't see him co- comment even on the fact that Flyrico's dead. Or um, I know Mateo says goodbye to him there, um, which is kind of an indication that he doesn't really care what Tiago thinks about him. But I would have expected some fallout if Tiago had thought his brother had murdered Flyrico. I thought I would, I would have expected something in the episode. I thought exactly the same thing. When they met at the day of the dead scene in the, in the, the graveyard, mm-hmm. I was expecting a slight fallout. Mm-hmm. Because that was the point I was like, okay, he's going to go, you killed another innocent man, we're we're done, blah, blah, blah. So it's either option A, as you laid out, which it happened too quickly. I don't think it did because he did, there was enough of a, like, turn, bloody hand, okay. knife. I think it's led to be indicated, which we'll discuss more, Tiago doesn't care. This implication that I, I'm not a cop i'm not a criminal i'm not anything i'm just another bloody s word it's changing his opinion of everything that's happened yeah Mm. uh plus whatever what everything else that happens in the episode and what everything else is part of so when we do get to the day of the dead scene where he probably should have kind of gone after his brother he can't say anything Mm -hmm. he's he's implicated in a murder too now another murder uh so he's he doesn't care i think this is moving towards this dark side which we can discuss further Mm -hmm. but the implication it all stems from this the king is dead long live the king shakespearean 
scene. Yeah. Where it, it was, it reminded me of almost like Macbeth, mm-hmm. where you have death and you, it, it started to change. That death is the hinge that changes the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like Mateo, I, the opinion I was taking from the, the Crimson Cat scene where Flyrica was kind of stopping and Rio was inciting was that Mateo was starting to lead a lean towards Flyrico with a single tear in his eyes. Diego's dead. And then this crystallizes his, yeah. his descent into like, if you, it's Shakespearean Macbeth. He is the king. Yeah. Or like mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, I, I'm kind of with you, Chris. I think, um, I think there's a change in Tiago and, just depends w- how far that goes because i mean the other thing to layer in on this and this is another thing that i think has possibly uh changed his mind to say i don't care anymore is that actually he's working with a detective with lewis who uses his his position in yep. the a- lapd to protect the jewish community and and so on in in la through dotty like he he has a network and it's not to say that they won't care for other things on their day-to-day job but it's kind of leveraging that position but i think to what extent and how he will do that for tiago i don't know i just thought the conversation between him and lewis at the end was really telling as they're seeing all the bulldozers coming in and they can see councillor townsend goss kurt and miss adelaide this idea that there is an enemy there now, but we're detectives, but we can use that to surveil them, go after them, almost like a vigilante type of thing. He's a Mexican Batman. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of that, yeah, like it, that. In, I, or like I, a real police officer chasing down bad guys and arresting them. People, the things that police officers should be doing. No, exactly, <laughs> but they're doing it off the books because mm-hmm. the structures are are racist. How can you deal yeah. with the LAPD when half of them are? won't care that you're Mexican yeah. and potentially hit you even though you're a detective or the city office and um, has got someone as obnoxious as Townsend. Absolutely. In there. So yeah. I yeah. just feel it's almost a copying of what Lewis Michener has done mm-hmm. yes. uh, in the past. And I think that's really uh, yeah. interesting as well. I think I was just confused by both of you saying that uh, Tiago seems like he doesn't care anymore and that he's going to go to a dark side. Um, what I would see from from this episode is actually he cares more than anything, and he and he wants to use his position to help his community. That's what he's always been about since the beginning. If he just sticks in long enough, then somebody else will be able to come up behind him. There will be more people like himself reflecting himself in these situations in the police uh, police system. Effectively, we heard that from his mother. You know, if he stays with it, then other people will be able to follow in his in his footsteps. You know, um, what's happening in this episode? We're seeing. He's facing many, many obstacles. And even though, as you said earlier on, John, even though he's got a badge, he's not treated any differently on the street when he's walking down it um, than he would be if he didn't have a badge. He's treated just like another Mexican, you know. Um, But I don't know whether he's going dark or whether he stopped caring. I think he, by the end of it, he's resolute in the fact that the city needs him and Lewis specifically to help save it. It Um, So the two of them still working their position, still in the police force, working together protecting their communities is the way i i saw it at the end i didn't think either of them were giving up it's not so much the ends it could be the means to the ends that he will go um Mm -hmm. and okay let's just say it because of what happens in the cemetery with magda uh coming on on his shoulder 
we don't hear an answer. And mm-hmm. um, we don't know whether there was more to that conversation or not. And it, that, that is, you know, that irresistible little, um, pal- yeah, kind of palate taster for you to kind of go, oh, okay, so is he? At the moment, I'm going, I think that could, with what happened in the alleyway, with and with what happened with Molly, I think there's a potential for a dark consequence or implication that he could move towards. I mean, mm-hmm. like with the original Penny Dreadful, there was always that fine balancing line with uh, Vanessa Ives as to whether she could spill out and ultimately become evil because yep. of her powers. So okay. I thought that was just interesting. Um, I think the thing I was most... I suppose upset about really was Mateo that we just didn't get more. I know they're under curfew and so on. We just didn't get more from Mateo mm-hmm. um, in this episode with the Fly Rico killing. I think I actually do feel one of my main issues I would have with the series so far is that I feel they put Mateo in a place and then basically it was in a shed with all the oil Derek's around him and yeah. mm-hmm. um, nodding away. And we got a few scenes where he was kind of flitting between being very um, distraught about what he had done um, and wanting to go back to the family and then being persuaded otherwise by Rio. And I think, again, you know, what side of the line? I think, obviously, the the resolute stir to, to Rio... Then we and his acceptance of that mantle, then absolutely. But I, I, I just would like to have had more from Matteo. Oh, absolutely. And um, because given what he or what side of the fence he sits on, um, you know, with respect to being, you know, for violent action or whatever, I can't imagine that a curfew would, as such, um, mean that he wouldn't do stuff. Um, he'd just got to be careful. But, um, yeah, that, that was my only thing. I, I kind of wanted a bit more material because I feel he's been lost a bit, to be honest. Um, and I think the really? character's really good. And I think uh, the journey that he went through has been really good. And I feel that since that happened, since that alley scene where his brother lets him go, I just kind of felt he faded away a bit you, you know you had him meeting his sister in one episode you had his mum come around to the hut in another you had um him wanting to go and leave that place back to the family and then rio stopping him um and anyway that's just my own kind of feeling so um it's a shame it didn't follow a bit more uh, than that or even just seeing him sort of then take charge of the the crowd of of That's fellow pachicos uh, to 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 lead them to kind of do that kind of you know um on the battlefield speech kind of thing mm-hmm. um i thought would have been kind of interesting yeah i th- you know i think it's getting out of there after, they, after they've killed Fireka, they're getting out of there to do uh, what they want to do next i suppose what's the next plan and there's definitely a few time jumps in this episode there's a there's a at least about two weeks i think overall that that passes during the time of this episode you know uh, that the streets being locked down completely uh is the next scene we see after uh tiago being beaten on the ground so there's there's obviously been a major clear out of of the uh of the city of all the pachucas and everybody that's fighting in these riots that they've all been cleared out the streets have been cleared so that's maybe a day i know molly's with tiago uh in in the room so it's probably not two or three days that they're there um because she has to go back to the to the missionary to do her next mass like but uh, but i think they're just getting out of there uh at the time the riots 
already in motion and i don't think mateo is going to stand up and stop the riot or stand up and incite the riot more uh, the riot is, is ongoing as we leave the scene i suppose i think it's all up to 24 hours up until we start getting to the day of the dead and then based on what tiago was saying that was the following week a week later yeah so that's yeah. where we get the the the, the, the time jump towards the end mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we talked a lot about the riot so far, but I know there's one other major moment that's in the riot, something we haven't seen all season, John. I'm sure you want to talk about uh, the moment between Rio and Elsa and Frank, let's say, uh, in the riot that kicks it all off. Absolutely. This was kind of my final part of of this was just the knowing nods between the the Magdas in in the middle of that riot. Uh, Mm -hmm. You have Rio looking, seeing Elsa um, and... You know, she's wanting to change the situation from being this kind of courteous, dignified uh, walk down the main street to an all-out riot. And you just have the situation um, that the the crafts are caught in with um, as as Frank lets out a scream. Um, I kind of had it's probably the first riot uh, caused by a failure of clutch control uh, by <laughs> by piece of craft, but. You know, understandable that you, you think you're moving on, you don't put the handbrake on. I definitely get that. But um I think three second rule. Exactly. Second rule. Come um, on, this is the piece. <laughs> this is where everybody drives automatics in the US now. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> but I, I just really thought this was a great kind of tension to the riot with mm-hmm. um the kids being in the back, you know, just before that lock the door roll up the window and kind of what happens with tom i mean that whole scene where the baseball bat is is used to smash that back window and you had tom's face up against that back window and i actually was thinking that's hit him in the face so does that mean he's actually going to die and in some ways i was slightly relieved when he just had a huge piece of glass sticking out of his head and and that he was still alive but um I just thought that was really sort of tense and um you're like going of all of them don't let Tom kind of get get sort of wiped out in this moment. And so I just thought that was just really good. It felt tense. It felt the 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 whole craft family was in jeopardy here mm-hmm. with all that brawling happening ar- around uh, and about their car. I thought yeah. it was really good. Also, Frank's scream is that would make me lurch mm-hmm. as well. Um, we did get one piece of confirmation that if no matter if you see one or the other of the, the Magdas, yeah. you will not be able to tell them yeah. apart because Dr. Kraft has Rio on his hood of his car mm. screaming at him. You would assume if it wasn't completely different, yeah. you would, they'd be like, oh, oh no, what's happening? Like, she looks like you, but slightly Spanish, mm-hmm. and but you're German. Oh my God, maybe you have the same mother. <laughs> like, you would expect that. So this is kind of definitive confirmation that kind mortals. Of. Oh, oh, only, I'm only saying no, Chris, because I had to watch it because I was, I was wondering what way they were going to manage it because I ha- they didn't manage it at all with Maria. Um, she sees them all separately and they never had, yes. they never managed her saying anything in the scene. It's really interesting. You see Dr. Kraft is leaning over the chair behind him as Rio's fa- face appears in the window. And as she says, they're here, they're killing us. Her face goes up above the window as Kraft turns back around. So you could, there is a slight argument that he okay. actually doesn't okay. see her for a second. But I do think what we said uh, in episode eight that 
she is manifesting yeah. a different face in front of other yeah. people. I think so. I think that's what's happening. So, you, so you are right. I'd say, but I would say they also have an out as well. They can yeah. say actually. If you see the two of them in the same situation together, you may be able to tell them apart. But actually, with everything that's going on, he's looking in different directions and may not have caught her face. Uh, yeah, okay. I, 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 it's just, I, I'm only I'm I'm not being pedantic. I just think it's really funny that they specifically made those choices because they it gives them options. <laughs> let's say exactly that's the core yeah. because I always I don't like the whole they look different. Mm-hmm. I like the that the, like there's a bit more supernatural to it, yeah. and it's kind of like you just. No matter, even though they look the same, you see, you see them different. Not see them differently. You can't put them together. Yeah. But I'd like the fact that if yeah, if you saw two of them together, you knew something was up. Mm-hmm. And then that this is the as you said, this is the out that I didn't take it in that way. But I prefer your view on how <laughs> it might be an out. Yeah, I just I just think it's 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 really fun. I do think the idea, even just having the three of them communicate to each other, because you see. Rio looking at Elsa. Elsa gives a quick nod back, quick nod from Rio, and then Elsa looks up in the rearview mirror and gives a quick nod to Frank before he screams. So yeah. there is that communi- actual communication between yeah. them. So that tells you that it's not just, let's say, one being that's able to just, doesn't need to see each other. It's actually three individual beings that yeah. all have a way of that all kind of need to communicate to each other. They can't just telepathically say what's next or they are, maybe they are saying telepathically, but they do need to make some form of uh, connection between each other to tell each other what to do. But they're all, all one being spread out completely separately, living separate lives. I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I, I still think it's, it, it's the case that people can't tell them yeah. that they're the same. Yeah. Um, and it's only because Maria has got this heightened sense of spirituality and supernatural, um, tapped into that supernatural, um, side of things that she's able to sense an evil. And, and yeah, so, um, I absolutely think that's the case. Yeah. Um, and that's why she's not, sh- she can't say definitively that Elsa is Magda, who she saw on yeah. the thing, or Rio from when she went to go and see Mateo. And it's the same why, okay, Dr. Kraft possibly was doing that. Um, but it's that even if he did see his, uh, Elsa next to him and then saw Rio in, he would not be able to tell. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's definitely, um, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. I will give John Logan this. I do like the preceding story of how they're pushing craft. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'll let John do the, the next few bits, but I will put, I will tip my hat where it is due. I did not know where they were going with this. Chris is not wearing a hat again. He always know, tips his hat. I, know. When he's not I always tip hat. my hat when I'm not wearing <laughs> I tip my virtual hat. I take it off and even bow <laughs> slightly. Um, it's it's interesting how they push craft in this because it's not a hundred percent planned, but through they found his one weak point, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the interesting part yeah. of how it pushes him. Sorry, but I'll, I'll, John, I'll let you explain. But that part. I think that's it. I think that fallout then from Tom's injury, and I, I think it's just that conversation with 
um, between Peter and, and Tom. And, you know, you know how much he cares for his children here in mm -hmm. this moment. You know, uh, Tom is massively upset and he just goes, I hate them. And he's like, no, you don't hate them. And we have this really kind of nice father-son um, sort of chat about, you know, not to allow hatred to come into your heart because then you're you're lost. That's all you'll ever do. And um, and then, you know, he wants to protect his children from um, from just hating. Uh, and then you have that conversation with Elsa where that's where she manipulates it around his um around his kids and starts to you know she she pushes it pulls back you know I, I i love the kind of fluidity of elsa um in how she approaches peter and that maybe is because he's the more difficult not to crack possibly um but you know she starts off about saying this is a race war we need to be on the side of the aryans not not the Mongols, you know, really up front in your face. Mm. And that doesn't wash with him. Uh, you know, he talks about the Hitler youth and just seeing hatred in their eye. And he doesn't want Tom and Trevor or any of it, you know, even Frank to fall into just hating uh, as a way in which you do things. Yeah. And then um, she immediately sort of stops and says, I don't want them to hate either, but I need the family to be strong and to be protected and then brings her story uh, of, oh. of what she was enduring um, in uh, when she was leaving uh, Europe at the hands of uh, American soldiers. Oh, and it's, it's that whole thing that you see Peter then contemplating his position. You know, I mean, she gives yeah. the Heil Hitler uh, salute as well, but you then have him at his desk in his study contemplating all of this uh, as he's putting on his, his the Iron Cross and, and ultimately sort of breaking down after he's done uh, the, the Nazi salute. Mm. He's effectively being pushed in this to kind of show strength or appear to be strong for his family. Mm -hmm. Or, and we don't know this, it could as well equally be that to protect his family again from by, you know, a, a lot of, you know, it's that idea as we're hearing now about, well, it's time to speak up. And a lot of people didn't speak up. And a lot of people haven't spoken up about racism, uh, um, in, in current societies. And part of that was to effectively go along with it. You know, people would give the Nazi salute and maybe just did not believe that politics at all, but it enabled them to gain power and to, make things fanatical uh within the society to to really violent and bloody extremes yeah, and so yeah. it's difficult and just as complicit and just as responsible exactly so yeah. it, it, it's seeing Absolutely. what and again i think this is probably for a season two where is this for peter yeah. is he He's presumably, is he just doing it to placate Elsa, which is just as bad as it to protect his family, which, you know, isn't much better? Or is he kind of going full on and embracing his uh, Krupp family heritage, uh, I suppose? Well, so the interesting part is he does the salute, but breaks down yeah. before he says the words. And that's the the cliffhanger, if you will, for the, the Krupp craft discussion, Agreed. because 
if he had have done the full salute and given the heil, that for me implies that he's bought in, he's going to do this. Mm. The fact that he starts breaking down while doing the salute, I believe leaves enough questions if they do, if they get the season two and this is their story, then I think that leaves enough in the, well, maybe he's not going to. If they want to do anything with Kraft, he may become something similar, which is he'll start speaking out for no hate. It's like, yeah. if they want to do a redemption part of it, just, just because they didn't give him the Heil. If they had have done the Heil, that's the, the descent. Well, he's in a room on his own, and I think he's trying it out. I think he's testing it out. Um, and he's seeing doesn't if he like can, it. And he doesn't like it at all. So that does give them the opportunity next season. Um, very likely that Rory Kinnear will return for a second season. It's very likely that the character would have a massive storyline. Um, he's obviously been in the other three seasons of the show as well. So, um, yeah, so the choice will still be there, I think, at the beginning of the next season. Um, yeah. Whether he will follow the path that's being forced on him effectively to uh, make his family strong, as Elsa says, or whether he will push back even further against uh, what her beliefs are. So I think it's just an interesting little touch there that he also has the Iron Cross on him, effectively remembering those times and the reasons why he left his family and reasons why he left Germany and everything like that. So it's just an interesting moment, I suppose, uh, to have him kind of go through that experience Um but I don't think any definitive decision has been made by Peter Kraft yeah. as to what he's going to do. Exactly. It, the question really for season two is, does he double down on on Rio's words, this isn't the time for peacemakers, and that's what he's decided? Or mm. is he the retort to that, which is there is time for peacemakers, and he plays a, you know, he, he's the um, the fly in the ointment or you know he's he's the he's the spy in the bunt or something along those lines you know um which would be kind of really really interesting yeah Mm -hmm. so and again as you say the iron cross thing it just it's a nice indication of his background um he's obviously done something fairly um brave in the line of duty Mm -hmm. uh to to get that yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, before we go on to the next point, I know we've gone back and forth over over the season, really, on the Magdas and, and which ones are kind of which ones are interesting and enjoyable storylines and stuff. Elsa is the one I'm really beginning to hate because yep. some of the storylines, some of the stories, let's say, because some of the stories that she chooses to tell Peter to manipulate him are absolutely horrific stories, and you're seeing her break down, you're seeing her cry, and she's telling these stories, and in the back of my mind the whole time I'm going. But this didn't happen. You're making yep. this up just to manipulate him. Yeah. And it's really horrific. Story. Like even the things that, uh, that Alex has said in the past to Lewis when she was trying to convince him that she'll work on his side in, in the mayor's office or in, uh, in Townsend's office, even those stories didn't seem as, uh, despicable as the ones that are being made up here by, uh, by, uh, Elsa, uh, to manipulate, uh, to manipulate Peter Kraft. Anybody who's told those kinds of stories will want to help out the person that was subject to, uh, the indignation that she went through. Anybody would, would feel that way. It just is that they're really, really horrific stories that she seems to come up with to, uh, to manipulate them. So, um, so this, this particular personal manipulation that's going on between uh, these characters, as opposed to, you know, someone that's like Rio who's trying to, 
bring Mateo to become the leader of an organization that's going to cause a war basically in the city of LA or Townsend is going to become a massively powerful person in the city or, you know, the work that maybe she's been doing with the Nazis in, in LA. All of those are massive organizations. What you have here is Peter Kraft, a doctor who moved over from Germany, left the army and doesn't want to be a Nazi effectively. And he's being manipulated by these awful stories, awful tales. So I think she's the one I dislike most of all of the three. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's basically I hate her most, yeah. followed by I, I would never be stuck in a room with Frank or I would end up killing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, then or I'd literally Or myself. <laughs> then I'd go Rio just because of the, manipul- the, the slight manipulation. Mm-hmm. And then I still just don't know... Um, I suppose with Alex, that's her job, is to be a political advisor. Exactly. It's almost like you kind of feel she's doing nothing wrong other than doing <laughs> no, what political advisors do. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I pretty much am sure there are Alexes all over the like the White House and every government right now. <laughs> it's just like you expect that level of snivelry, kind of conniving. Mm. She hasn't done anything bar work with the nazis and a lot of yeah. people were doing and it videotape them having sex to use that in a future uh, pretty, again, <laughs> future pretty sure that's, she, she, that's probably happening yeah. with the political space she, yeah. she gets but, uh she gets her boss a sausage breakfast what's not to like <laughs> exactly and we all like sausages be it bratwursts or links mm-hmm. moving swiftly on and discussing our bratwursts and our links and other phallic shaped um, discussion point. Let's move on to my main point. Um, rockets. I want to talk about <laughs> rockets. Exactly. Uh, does Brian have a rocket in his pocket? No, because it is the end of his rocket journey. Um, wow. I did not see this yeah. ending with Brian happening. Again, the one thing I will say is I, I said in the last episode, I was expecting certain zigs and they gave me a zag and I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I know I, it's basically, if any of our fellow listeners have listened to me over our 490-something episodes, you know I... It's not difficult to remember 499, Chris. Our fifth, exactly. 500th episode is next week. <laughs> I haven't been on all 499. Yeah, you're still, you're still part of the team. I've been I hate cliches. Mm-hmm. I was expecting based on that they had potentially played to the timeline slightly with their version of the beginning of the Zoot Suit Riots, I was like, okay, so Brian, they we get Brian, in, and I'm going to jump around a bit on this <laughs> slightly, but Brian, essentially, I was like, okay, they're going to make him a proxy Oppenheimer. Okay. For those of our listeners who don't know who Oppenheimer is, Oppenheimer was the father of the, the atomic weapon mm-hmm. he is the 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 person who said i am shiva i am the destroyer of worlds uh, as they launched the first nuke mm-hmm. um he is basically was the lead scientist of the manhattan project which was the u.s project to build the atomic weapon i thought they were going to do when he's when brian starts talking about he has ideas for a bomb and they're taking him to manhattan and new york i was going Okay, they're going to drop his birth name was his mother's maiden name was Oppenheimer right. or something along those effects. I thought they were just going to build it like that. I was like, that would be quite cool. Okay. What we get here is the, we had already seen that Lewis was teaming up with the, the, 
mafia to store Brian in uh, Mama Vega's house. Mm-hmm. We get this beautiful scene between the, the the mob boss and Mama Vega about her recipes, and it's and we even get Dottie, and we get some nice end yeah. closure there, which I was quite happy yeah. with. And straight away, we even see the Nazis figure out, oh well, if it's not here, here, and here, and here, well, it's all about family with the Jews. So his cop partner is slightly his family. Go check there. Yeah. Go check the fan. Like you could see the pieces, and it was just nicely threaded. They are very, very quick to to guess that, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but they're good at their jobs. Um, so yeah. Exactly. If I was Gestapo, I and I was high in Gestapo, I'd probably be good at my job too. <laughs> um, but you're not I, Gestapo. Chris. <laughs> I am not Gestapo. For the record, and for audio listeners, I am not Gestapo. I do a terrible German. <laughs> mm-hmm, very true. Um, I I cannot be German. Anyway, jumping forward, what I liked is this scene, and I, I, the rest of it's all just very setting the stage in terms of some nice goodbyes, some nice scenes in between where they discuss how they're going to get him over to the East Coast, mm-hmm. all leading to the scene in the car where we have Brian talking about his ideas. Yeah. Where we have Tiago and Michener and Betty Berman in there with Brian. And they're all looking at each other and they're all starting to figure out together, like, this kid is a loose cunt. Yeah, or a loose rocket. He is literally a, potentially talking about blowing up the world. Mm. Who knows? And you see the threads and the nods between them. And when they start to talk about, and we have the Gestapo trailing them, and I wasn't sure how it was all going to play. I was like, oh, we're going to get to a plane Mm -hmm. and then... The, the Gestapo are going to shoot Brian as he gets on, okay. or he's going to hand. I was trying to play the pieces together yeah. and go, how are they? And then as soon as they pull over the car and you see Michener go for the walk with him mm-hmm. and you see, okay, kid, look at the sky. Look at those stars. Yeah. They're amazing. And that whole scene. And again, I'm, I'm going to pontificate how amazing Nathan Lane is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to wax lyrical for as long as possible, but like that scene where you see him yeah. as a cop, as a Jew, as a man trying to save America, as trying to stop the Nazis, uh, you see all these conflicting emotions and it's that kind of, um, Sophie's choice he's been given, mm. which is, do I save a, a, a child in his eyes, yeah. a kid, exactly. a kid, or do I save the world? Yeah. By trying to, by eliminating this threat. Yeah. Yeah. It's the whole idea of what would you do? And could you exactly. do it if it was, um, effectively what Lewis does here? Cause I, I, I'm totally with you. Um, this to me was the most unexpected and shocking part of it. And I thought it played out really well. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought the second he started talking about the fact that he was done with the rocket and the other thing he was working on, the second I heard that I went, Oh, I should have put that together last week. He's working on the atomic bomb. He needs to die. Um, the whole conversation that's going on in the car is keeping him away from Hitler. If Hitler gets this kid, they're going to be able to exploit him to learn how to build a rocket. And that rocket might reach New York. And once he starts talking about the idea that he's going to be able to set fire to the atmosphere and create a nuclear bomb, this kid is more dangerous than Hitler. Because yeah. he doesn't care about the consequences. What he's there for is the science. And to be able to do it sounds like the thing that will entice him to just keep pushing himself until he gets it done. And he doesn't care about the consequences. Um, 
that's the moment when they all realize that he needs to go. And I, I love yeah. that kind of silent. Again, this this episode is a lot about the nods between characters. That's that silent moment of acceptance between everybody in that car that yeah. Lewis is the one that's going to do it and uh, that he has to go. Um, I did also like just a little tiny thing I liked as well was this felt like the smuggling network that was going on, taking people, taking Jews particularly out of Germany and out of areas where they were uh, in constant danger. It felt like they were using this mafia network to help Brian uh, escape from uh, from LA you know it really felt like oh great right we're going to get Brian in season two he's going to be working with yeah. the Jewish community in, in New York fighting against the Nazis from uh, from America you know with all of his ideas and all of his plans but yeah I, I definitely saw that moment when he started talking the way he was looking out the window when Lewis was questioning him about this horrible plan that he had I knew that was the end of Brian from there yeah I think I think that's what what's really good is it's how in many respects it's just that sheer the nonchalance or the abstractness mm. of the scientific speak that that brian is talking and so he talks about yield and he's like oh no no that's that's by that that's just the scientific word for explosion the explosion explosive yeah. uh, load from it and he then starts to talk about it you know as i haven't figured out yet whether the what the earth's atmosphere will burn up or not and you can just see it on benny's face and it's that it's that it's not just about what he's saying about well the water and the soil will be sorted by the radiation mm -hmm. and it will take out a city which is horrific enough i suppose for uh benny tiago and and lewis but it it's the realization that this is exploring the boundaries of science in a totally abstract way, but it has a real life consequence or application, which is a bomb. Um, yeah. And yeah, not to give the Nazis on. I think what makes it so poignant as well for me anyway, um, is that you know how important family tradition and, um, and everything like that is to to Lewis Meechner mm -hmm. um and to Tiago and all that and yet then it it's the contrast of what and the conflict and the pain that it inflicts on Lewis in that moonlight on the beach to shoot Brian and, yeah. and kill him yeah. and i i think that's really interesting you know it's it's that thing of in war um good people have to do bad things and it's normally only in post that in retrospect that you can say whether potentially it may have been good or for for worse yeah. um but this is a moment where he it's almost you know it's almost like time travel <laughs> in, in that sense well, it's the, the do you he'll kill hitler question, exactly basically. um and it's it's simply that this bomb that he's describing to them cannot get into the hands of the nazis yeah yeah. Now, the fallout potentially of this in the next season is fantastic. You have Michener in the pocket of, uh, Benny, uh, the mafia, they owe him. Mm. Um, you have Dottie, which is the interesting part. That's Dottie true. was friends with Brian. Mm -hmm. She got him to Yoohoo for his journey. <laughs> she, joked with him she started to very much bond with this kid and then at some point well we don't know when Minter's going to tell her or how he tells her mm -hmm. at the end of this episode or before 
um, or in the next season, there's going to be some type of, but you don't get it, Dottie. He was, yeah, he was, he was too much of a risk type thing. And then that's an interesting bit because when you're talking about necessary evils, every character who goes through a necessary evil, there will always be some other character who thinks they know better and that they shouldn't have. Right. Yeah. Maybe, but remember, Dottie was the one that found out that he was working on some other project. So um, I think she also had that look on her face. She didn't find out what the other project was last episode, but she had a look at her face going, hang on a second, what's the other project thing that this kid's talking about? So I think she is a person that understands casualties of war, uh, and I think she'd probably understand pretty quickly why Brian had to go. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether it will play a big part in season two for that particular album. No, but I, think I think it'll be a bit of a f- yeah, fun. I do think certainly Lewis being uh, being the one to kill him, that will have a major implication on his own psyche uh, as yeah. we get into season two. Yeah. I think the other thing I loved about this is, as you were saying about the with Mama Vega, I like that juxtaposition of kind of that lightheartedness. Um, it almost like, right, we've got to whisk him away now. It's probably playing to, you know, to somewhere in the Caribbean and then on to... Um, onto new york mm-hmm. i i really kind of like that playfulness but the juxtaposition with ultimately what happens to brian um like just benny berman tiago and 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 lewis where tiago's like going why are you in my house uh i want a words with you out here whereas benny is kind of more interested in this recipe that he's making at the moment um and mama vega is really happy to do it it just feels it's a nice kind of lightness to a really tough ending, but you know, it, and it, it sets up that theme. I think of the family tradition, you know, food recipes, mm-hmm. all in that vein that Lewis, I suppose, connects to, and then ultimately what he's got to do to uh, poor old Brian. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we'll we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up there because I, I want to move on to some other bits. I will say. Um, and we can talk further about it in the, the after the next point is that I do feel poor Mama Vega was not used correctly in this episode, and we will get to that later. Put a pin in that. Okay. Yeah, let's move on to uh, the final point uh, for this episode. My my final major point in the episode, and obviously, is the death of Sister Molly, which in itself was kind of a shock. You know, we had the fight between herself and Tiago where Tiago's pushing her away um kind of surprised that resolved itself in that conversation um because he seemed quite adamant that that was the end of their relationship he was no longer going to be her Latin lover as he describes you know uh, she stays behind bef- after he leaves I think that's an indication that she does believe uh, that there's no future in their relationship um, he has to go outside to meet Lewis, and instead of going down with him, she says, can you give me a couple of minutes to wait behind and then follows down afterwards? I think that's her basically saying, I completely take your point about the two of us holding hands in the street. That's not going to look well. I believe it so much, I'm not even going to leave the building with you, basically, is, is the way that I took that little scene there. But I was quite surprised it resolved um, the argument there, and they said they were going to meet up uh, later on after the service. But really what's important about the episode is that we finally get the answer to who killed uh, the Hazlitt family and why. Um, 
we predicted it from episode two, I think, uh, from yeah. the introduction of Miss Adelaide. Uh, interesting that that was the central mystery for the whole series. And I think everybody pretty much knew that it had to be uh, her mother that did it. But it's the fact that Molly didn't know. The fact that Molly yeah. wasn't aware that her mother was willing to do yeah. this extreme an act to protect her daughter and protect the church effectively. So... What is also interesting, and just a nice little touch, I remember this from when we were watching uh, Gotham to begin with, when there was the murder of the Wayne family, and they kept going, I did it, but somebody else was involved. I did it, and somebody else in the background. Here we hear from Miss Adelaide, she had help, because an old woman like her couldn't possibly actually do the murders. So she initiated it, someone else helped. Most likely the Nazis um, staged it. But maybe not. Maybe somebody else is involved. So I do like that. The central mystery is resolved. She was the one responsible for it. She did it because of Molly. But there is somebody else involved that could play into the future uh, investigation, I suppose, um, that may happen uh, as we get on to the next season. I do believe it was Zika Stapo. It may have been Kurt. Yeah, it may have been Kurt. I I, I think they'll... They'll bounce it between Kurt and the um, bodyguard, mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, who, which one was it? Which one was yeah. it? And it will be Kurt will potentially, probably in a lover's tryst or something with Townsend, spill that he. Remember, there was the whole piece around death. Mm -hmm. You don't want to kill. You can't take that back. Yeah. And the fact that Kurt's had to kill children, which remember mm -hmm. it was the Hazlitt family. I think that may come out in season two, yeah. and that's how they'll uh, they'll have a nice coup d'état between Kurt Townsend and potentially maybe maybe fracturing there. Yeah, I, I think the big the only reason why I have a question over who else was involved is because of the staging of the murder itself. Um, certainly, you get Kurt to go out and and shoot a few people in the head and bury their bodies in in uh, up the mountains. Grand. I just wonder if there's something else about the the other person involved. Uh, may have had a more of a reason to stage it the way they did as well. So, because the staging was quite important at the beginning of the season. So, yeah. uh, but good that we have the resolution to it. And what it leads to, I think, is quite massive. Um, Molly taking her own life because she feels there's no way out of this church. Her mother kind of says to her, right, go downstairs, give us a nice song. And when you come back, I never want to hear another word about you leaving this church again. Look what I've done for you. Look at all the things I will do for you in future. And that's Molly's cue to realize she'll never get out of this. There's no way out of it. And that's uh, when she kills herself in the baptismal pool of the church. So, so much great symbolism that's going on in that scene as well. A, yeah. a beautiful scene with Santa Marta coming to, yeah. uh, to hug her and bring her to death. Um, poke at her eye. And possibly poke at her eye, as, as Chris mentioned earlier on. She really struck me as the character of death, the way it's written within Sandman. Um, I know you guys have read a bit of Sandman, but, uh, but death as a character is, the personality that you want to see ushering you into the next yeah. phase of your afterlife, effectively, whatever that may be. It may be just you're dead and, and, and over and that's it. Or it may be that you're going on to heaven or you're going to wherever else afterwards. But death is a, a personification of what you want to see to welcome you after you die. And I really like that moment yeah. with Santa Morta where she kind of repeats this conversation that Molly has had with uh, Tiago earlier on about the fact that she always wanted a sister. She always wanted someone to share her bedroom with and share her life with. And uh, and she talks to her about the bunk beds and says that she's her sister in that moment at the end of her life. You know, I thought this was a nice little touch between them as she welcomes her into the world. She smiles and, and takes her on board. She now cares for her because she's no longer one of the living. She's now one of her community, one of the dead, effectively. So uh, I do really like that. Yeah, I'm 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 right there with you on that. Like 
I was always slightly a bit more confused about Santa Muerte. I thought she was more like the ferryman or the, mm-hmm. of the dead to a degree. But what we see is, as you say, it's also very Sandman-esque in that, yes, she is the the fairy woman, uh, fairy man of the dead to bring, to brings them to the afterlife. But does it, like you said, with that personification and that understanding, mm-hmm. it's like, come with me, sister. Yeah. Um, you brought up a point before we came up on air. I was going to bring it up again. <laughs> I think you should, because I want to talk about this. Yeah. I was going to bring up just, just one thing about that conversation. I really liked my understanding of it. I suppose that this was a conversation where Santa Berta is welcoming uh, Sister Molly into the afterlife. Um, what I didn't like about that scene was that it could have been taken that there was something extra supernatural about it. Yep. That effectively Sister Molly was kind of joining the sisterhood that is Magda, Santa Muerta, and now Sister Molly. That the three of them were going to suddenly become deities presiding over what's going on in the world because there's just not enough set up there if that's what it was what was meant there's not enough setups as to what sister molly would be the personification for if, if that makes sense i do think there's a spiritual connection between them i get I, I totally get that there's a connection between their spirits i suppose but i just can't imagine that we will see sister molly appear in the same way as magda or santa Muerta next season but maybe we will we did have that conversation with tiago where he says on day of the dead we say farewell and say thanks to our loved ones who've passed and sometimes they reach back out to us so perhaps we will see santa Muerte in that way as a ghost possibly in some sense in season two i just don't see her as a deity in season two and i think that particular line of dialogue made it sound like she was joining the sisterhood of of deities basically so i'm right there with you on this because i literally had to have this conversation with my partner after this because she was like what 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 do you mean? Is mm-hmm. she is she now a god? Was she a god? I'm like, no, do you not remember she talked about her sisters, blah blah blah. Yeah. But I think more that they will potentially go along the lines of, as you said, Tiago or someone, potentially Josephine, mm-hmm. will actually be able to commune with Mon right. in her post life um machinations, <laughs> if you will. Okay. Yeah. Um I it just confused. Mm-hmm. It made poignant scent based on the story yeah. and the narrative they'd just given. But there wasn't enough of the... It wasn't given enough, kind of, like, if it had been a bit more hammered home. Yeah. Not just... It was just more of those... Because the two times this conversation came up, which was first with Tiago, and then the sisters being brought, or the siblings being brought up by the mother, the, there was so much else all going on in those small bits of narrative, mm-hmm. those conversations, that it wasn't the, the, the most important piece of those. Yeah. So it, it was a kind of blink and you'll miss it sentences, important, but then to be narratively referred back to later, yeah. You're, it was just, I can see people going, wait, was she supernatural? Is she going to yeah, be supernatural? Exactly. And I'm like, to be fair, it gives John Logan an amazing opportunity. Maybe. Because he could go, well, she wasn't, she's going to yeah. be. Or, no, she wasn't, it was talking about a thing. Or, well, she's not, but she now is going to be slightly, she's going to be a demi-deity, and she'll be a bit of a ghost and be able to talk to blah, <laughs> yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, perhaps. I think it's one of those things that the element I don't like about it is that these 
two conversations happened in the same episode they probably do have to so that you can remember them uh, as as you mentioned but having the conversation with tiago that i always wanted a sister i wanted to let her choose her bunk bed all that kind of stuff in the episode and then having her have the, that conversation with santa Marta a couple of minutes later makes you feel did you always want a sister or did they need you to say that in this episode so that scene makes sense later on you know exactly. like yeah. she had that conversation with tiago about him losing family members when they first had their first date back on the beach back in episode three that would be a great opportunity to say you have a big family i wish i had a big family so they can kind of share that back then and then then it becomes a narrative theme throughout the series that she's alone she has always been alone with her mother and then when it comes to the end here she's being welcomed into the afterlife by her new uh by somebody else by somebody that's referring yeah. to herself as now part of their family the family of the dead effectively um but i just feel having those two lines in this episode just felt a little bit like we need to get that story told now really quickly you know so one very small bit similar in vain to you to this for me was the scars mm-hmm. the the main plot voice um john reminded me when we were just off air that uh this had been mentioned previously but not, again, it was mentioned so quickly in passing and not really something that I kind of took mm. in that she, I knew she had tried to quote unquote escape, but I didn't understand the significance of that trying to escape. Yeah. So it felt like in this, she talked about her scars to Tiago, showed her mom her scars and used this. So it was just, it felt what I like, what they did with mm. this with Molly, it felt rushed. To a degree with me. It just felt a bit bum, bum, bum yeah. for both aspects. So it's like sisters, bum, bum, bum. Scars, bum, bum, bum. Yeah. And to get us to that end scene or end goal, yeah. it, I don't know. I, I just think they could have stretched it a bit further and elaborated, mm. but overall, quite a nice fitting end. And I mean, I mean, this is a very bad way of describing it. I was very happy with how they ended this story beat with the character that is. Molly. Mm. Yeah. It is a really sad end to the character, and there has been such a, a central kind of interesting point for all of us all the way throughout the season. We've been wondering whether, you know, was Molly the personification of Santa Muerta on, uh, on Earth or Magda on Earth, or was did she have some other connection that, you know, was she channeling some kind of demon? What was going on? Was she the one that murdered the Hazlitts? And to have it end the way it is, does here, where she finds out about what her mother does to protect her, um, and, and causing her own death, causing her suicide. Um, it's it's a really sad end for for the character, definitely. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I I, I loved it personally. Um, I agree absolutely that the whole thing of Tiago and her sort of uh, connecting back so quickly, but I felt that that was a lash out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think like she tees it up really nicely. Um, can't you see the cracks? They hate each other now, referring to both Molly and then Sister Molly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it comes to you know, and I just think what we're getting with the comments of um her other sisters, her four sisters, um, and the confirmation then of the 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 marks on her wrist is stuff that has kind of been obliquely referenced that she is cracked she um she is torn um and that all comes to play here with with her mother um Mm -hmm. which is just phenomenal i I thought this scene was amazing and to be honest between molly and miss adelaide um were you 
you know, you have Molly stamping her foot, putting her, her foot down, and really then Miss Adelaide saying that um, I've tried so hard to protect you. I've done everything to protect you. It comes out about the Hazlitts, and she goes, uh, whatever you do, wherever you go, you are mine. Um, and in respect to the Hazlitts, this whole idea, I became God's righteous minister of death. And mm-hmm. so tough, so dark and tough basically not giving molly this option and then seeing miss adelaide running into the pool with the grief i mean a- amy uh, uh madigan uh, is just really phenomenal mm-hmm. here um in terms of that personal loss with molly uh in her own blood in the baptism pool and and literally the scene you know what 30 minutes before in the private chambers of molly where she admits to murder all to protect um her and the ministry um as well as i put you know what she's she's built and i think just knowing that molly um didn't know that is really uh really good yeah. um I, I just thought that was phenomenal um and i think again just santa Morta there was was great and knowing about the the kids and that sister it's obviously that reference to her sisters and that idea of um yeah being the form of death that molly wants to come for her mm-hmm. um but uh i i kind of like the idea that in some ways molly's still hanging around um i don't mean in any big way but um, certainly this idea that there would be signs or something um, to whether it's Josefina, um, I don't know, could be really good. Because even with Josefina, I think we kind of get to a point where she's like, and she thought that the temple was going to be some yeah. where, where she could develop um, and, and be, be someone free of, and, yeah. of all the the crap that's going on with that she's seeing now with the curfew and the cops and all this. And she's realized that actually probably none. There's that really nice scene with uh, Maria and, and Josefina then, um, which is obviously so very different um, to, to um, Molly and Miss Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Certainly the, the moment where she goes, you know, I told you that story where you would always be safe. Well, you're not. <laughs> it's like fairly brutally honest, really. Um, and there's actually some really nice intimate moments, though, between the parent and their child here from Peter and Tom yeah. um, and then Maria and Josefina and even with Miss Adelaide and, uh, and Molly. Mm-hmm. Um, intimate and have very different uh, thrusts. So, yeah, I, I thought this was, like, really good. Again, like with Brian's, it was just a nice surprise and maybe that was because we were saying she's been communing with santa mercy most you know we were wanting that supernatural element and in the end it was just that she was a young girl brought into something with no choice um and uh ultimately being innocent to the fact that her mother was a monster um and that was the cruelty of, of her position absolutely absolutely you know um, it does lead on to um, to Tiago at, at Day of the Dead, effectively, and how how 
much everything's hitting them. I, I did like that they still yeah. showed the representation of of what Day of the Dead means to uh, to a Mexican family um, and, a, and a Latino family in in America celebrating it uh, because it is a celebration exactly as Tiago describes. I, I really enjoyed seeing the family actually having part of their celebration still, even though Tiago's very soon after uh, the death of Molly. So he's um, experiencing still the massive grief that there is there for losing his girlfriend. Um, but I like that we saw a moment between Tiago and his mother dancing again together, uh, something that we saw back at the first episode of the show, the closeness of the family where they will dance and they will uh, celebrate when these types of occasions come up. I thought it was a, a lovely scene, but he does get the tap on the shoulder from Magda. And I thought I was, I liked the touch of it because it's almost like she acts out exactly how Maria had described her. Maria says that she can feel the touch of Magda in a room. She can feel that creepiness of having Magda nearby. And what Magda does is rub right along the neck of, uh, of Tiago to get his attention effectively, uh, which I, I did really like. Um, John, did you think this was kind of an opening or Chris, did you think this was kind of the opening for Magda to now, uh, talk to Tiago because of everything that he's gone through that she now thinks he's possibly someone that she can use or can get involved with? I, I, I think Magda's a pragmatist. Absolutely. And she will, work with anyone to further her agenda mm. and if that means that she's using tiago and that's the thing that i'm not entirely clear here is it that she's taking the opportunity in a bit the same way that um alex connected in with lewis at, at the city hall mm-hmm. and okay nothing more came of that but it's it's almost like a spy in the opposing camp um, to feed disinformation yeah. or channel them along ways that ultimately serve her purpose. So it's, is that what this is? Um, or is it something that he, and this is why I think the gravitas of it being at his father's grave in the cemetery on Day of the Dead. And I just feel that the things that happened to Tiago in this episode with um, the realization of effectively just being is always going to be and will always be seen as a Mexican as opposed to a detective mm-hmm. or a husband or a father. And it, that makes it difficult, impossible with Molly, that fracture, even though they come back and then she's killed you know, after it, it's it's you know the last episode was the high before the fall, and um, and is it yeah. that he falls so far and you have this moment? Of course, it, it keeps us guessing because that it, it's held away from us, so we don't know. Um, but that could then be where he's willing to work with her, um. Or, or something along those lines or be involved with her, with her plans and um, to some, you know, in, in a way that is for his own. Need. I, do, I don't really know, but I think that's what's so great about the show and about this, this ending is that it does leave you on a bit of a cliffhanger because, um, the only thing I'd say is the brother kill, killing, um, brother is probably not gonna sit too well with him knowing that he's got two brothers if he takes it literally mm-hmm. uh but i think um i don't know it's it's one of those two things so 
I would kind of like to see Tiago go dark. I think, I think John Logan has form with having good characters who always can be on the cusp of going evil. Like Vanessa Rives from season one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I personally think that this is the, and I'm going to keep this very short, that this is the, this is, he is now opened to the whispers. Whereas if before he was almost a, not a holier than thou, he was the good cop. He was the good son. He was the good Mexican. He was the good everything. This is the, this is him accepting reality. And through that acceptance, he is, and through the acceptance of the things he has to do, he is opening himself up to the whispers of Magda, or the allowance that Magda can now whisper to him. And she can now set him through what she wants to do, because you think most of her stuff was done with the Pachucos, it was done with the Nazis, mm-hmm. her characters. So this allows her to open up, like, Potentially season two has another form of Magda where it is someone who Tiago falls in love with and it's her job to push Tiago towards X. He's open. The gates are open mm-hmm. and it allows that to be, I don't want to say anti-hero because it's not it's, vigilantism yeah. for good sake. It will be, be vigilantism and anti-hero-ness, but actually better serving the actual bad person, the evil entity. Right. He'll think he's doing the right thing, but it's actually serving the prophecy of brother versus ver- brother, nation yeah. versus nation, etc. Et Does Tiago see Magda at all? He felt her. He shivers mm-hmm. when she runs the finger down the spine. Yeah. I think he senses for sure, don't, don't but he, all, he's not yeah. seen her. Yeah, He's not seen her because his so, back was to her. Exactly. So he doesn't yeah. answer the question no. because he doesn't hear the statement that she's saying to him. She's saying effectively it's going to come down to you tiago vega so that's the way i'm i'm taking it because at the beginning of the season he's been touched by santa muerta he's under the protection of santa muerta and magda's coming here at the end of the season i liked how john logan described this in in his interview about this final episode he said these are your two main characters for the show magda and tiago are character number one and character number two for this entire series and they've never met they haven't met since the beginning of the season there's been no interactions between these two main characters so at the end of the season here she's now saying i'm coming for you next basically um i'm coming to either get you involved or you will be involved in the center of this maelstrom that's coming because of all the things that she's been doing so uh so yeah i kind of i I liked the idea but i didn't I, i took it that she wasn't talking to him she isn't whispering to him she's whispering about him behind his back in his presence basically i like what you said about the touched in the beginning he was touched by santa muerte Mm. in my opinion at the end now he is touched by magda Mm. if you want to call it it's magda versus santa muerte for the battle of tiago maybe if you will he is the 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 linchpin the crux the fulcrum whatever you want to call it he will he lean doing bad machinations for magda or will he do the virtuous kind of Santa Muerte route or the Coyote route and kind of like, will he be good or will he be bad? Mm. What, like he is the, 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 the center point. Yeah. And I like that. And it, it's perfect because it questions exactly what will happen in season yeah. two. 
Yeah. Let's hope there is a season two. We've talked a lot about the possibilities of what's going on and what could happen in a season two. I was going to have a point in here where we talked about what our impressions were going to be in season two. But we're going to do a wrap up episode about uh, the full season of uh, Penny Dreadful, as I mentioned earlier on. So let's, let's save our thoughts about what yes. might happen in season two. Um, any notes on notes of the dead for this episode? Anything that popped out from the episode that uh, that you thought might be interesting to bring in that we may not have talked about in the points for the episode. I'll go first because I just wanted to circle back to one of my notes that I mentioned really early on in the season about uh, Sister Molly being based on uh, Sister Amy Semple McPherson, uh, who was pretty much exactly the same type of character in the 20s and 30s, uh, right up until the 50s, actually, uh, where she was a radio personality who was a, an evangelist, very much using all the entertainment industry uh, standards to kind of get people as members of her uh, her church. The reason why I want to circle back to it was because I said there were some interesting things about her as a character that I thought might play into the season. Um, and you guys were really intrigued about what uh, what it could possibly be because uh, there was just some interesting um odd parts about her her life i suppose uh one of the yeah. most interesting is probably that she disappeared for five days uh, from la um uh, appeared in mexico uh, five days later saying that she'd been kidnapped for those five days and nobody believes that uh, that actually happened people believe she used that to uh to manipulate people around her to believe that she was uh, treated badly so that she could encourage more people to join the church it's just an interesting story because it could have been something that was going on with the Sister Molly character this season that thought that they may play into her going and disappearing with Tiago at the end of this episode. That's okay. what I thought was yeah. going to happen. Um, she did die uh, in the 50s, uh, possibly of an overdose. Most likely it was ruled an accidental overdose uh, of uh, prescription drugs. But again, interesting that there's a connection there with suicide, possibly. Uh, there was some uh, suspected sus- suspicions that it could have been suicide when uh, when she originally passed away. But then the other little touch that was taken for Molly's character um, is that when she died, she died in reasonable poverty for uh, what for what she was doing. She died with $10,000 to her name. Uh, her mother, um, who was a member of the church but left uh, after some major disagreements about how the church was being uh, run, um, she had over $200,000 uh, to her name and the church itself was worth about $2.8 million. So uh, certainly the church is very similar to the church we see at, involved with Sister Molly in this season. That's a very, uh, very much run by the money and lots of money being involved in it. So uh, I just thought it was quite interesting having those little touches, but I didn't want to break them really early on in the season because uh, it may have ruined some of the storylines that were there for, for Sister Molly. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and certainly that she was kidnapped and was found up, uh, in, in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So that, or that's was pretty she, good. Yes. Or was she? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and some things around churches, I suppose, never change, do they? Um, <laughs> uh, I've just got a few notes. One on the Iron Cross, which um, was uh, it's a military decoration. So it's just the idea that, you know, Peter is decorated very highly here with the Iron Cross. It's like the Victoria Cross in, uh, say, in the UK. Um, and it, it comes from the Napoleonic Wars when it was just Prussia and then later became part of the German Empire up to the end of 
World War One when it was actually banned and the it was the Nazis brought it it, it back wow. um uh, as their main sort of symbol so. and medal for uh, military uh, sort of valor, I mm-hmm. suppose. Um, and but also because probably the design of the cross does hark back to um, the the uh, Teutonic Order uh, and the Knights of the Crusaders um, uh, from oh, well over the thirteenth, twelfth, eleventh centuries. Um, and so that certainly fits in with, um, I suppose, the Nazis' kind of view of racial purity. Um, but it, you know, it, it's this. Um, the design is ultimately uh, a Christian uh, cross symbol uh, or cross pate um, of uh, white uh, or silver outline on a on a black cross, which was right. used by the Crusaders. So I yeah. thought that was kind of interesting because it's not, as I say, it's that contemplation that Peter has. Mm-hmm. It's not a symbol of Nazism that yeah. he picks up. Yeah, um, exactly. It has been brought back as that sort of by 1938, but his is a World War One Iron Cross, effectively. Right. right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, the other thing was the z- on the Zoot Suit riots, which I um, probably should have mentioned earlier. But uh, it was interesting that that kind of all related to the fears, hostilities around press coverage, actually, yeah. of the Sleepy Lagoon murder case, um, where it was this gang, um, about nine teenage members of the gang accused of murdering this civilian man named Jose Diaz, so a, a Mexican in an abandoned quarry pit. Um, but the convictions of the nine men, whilst they were ultimately overturned, it was just the generated so much animosity uh, towards uh, Mexican-Americans from the police and the press characterizing them as pachuco hoodlums and baby gangsters, mm. um, basically. Yeah, so, I want to see a baby so gangster. So it was, it was kind of interesting, but it was pitted against American servicemen stationed in Southern California uh, against... Uh, a Mexican American youths yeah, um, or young, you know, teenagers, young Mexican uh, adults, um, from the 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 injustice of, of what was being reported yeah. and how they were being viewed as a, a community. And once again, convictions of of them were overturned. You know, exactly, very, very similar to to the case in in uh, in Central Park in New York. Um, with the with the black youths who were accused of a crime they didn't commit and spent time in jail and completely characterized by everybody, including Donald Trump, who was in New York at the time, as being murderers and killers. Um, yeah, so, exactly. Uh, so lots of little attention in there to uh, the details of everything that's going on in the U.S. The only other thing I have was to try and see if Brian Koenig was anyone in particular, and I do wonder uh, whether his inspiration could be for, um, of a Caltech grad called Frank Molina, who, as a grad in Caltech, um, basically changed his, his his research and asked his professor if he could do research into rocket propulsion and rocket technology and science, and ultimately... Um, he moved to the Arrow Seco site, which was basically the late, um, the basis for the Jet Propulsion Laboratory of NASA. But he became disillusioned with it because the research was for weapon systems rather than for scientific research. And so he left, but his interests 
in communism and left-wing politics brought uh, the attention of the FBI, who thought that possibly he was exchanging information with the communists. So a bit kind of like the the, the sense that uh, Brian Koenig is in with uh, giving information to the Nazis. Right, right. Um, but in, in this case... Um, you know, maybe just the, the opposite is portrayed here that, uh, he ultimately wanted to do jet propulsion for scientific research, not for weapon systems and the propulsion of bombs effectively. Whereas Brian, Whereas Brian yeah, 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 has unfortunately slipped uh, in the other way, but it probably isn't. But I just kind of thought, you know, with Brian getting uh, taken out by Lewis, I, I, that was really interesting. I just wondered, you know, was he uh, one of the huge number of scientists involved on the Manhattan Project? Mm. Um, given that he was coming up with the um, certain theories, and I just thought maybe let's just see if there were any missing students from Caltech in the 1930s. Right. Um, and this this isn't a missing student, but it, it threw up um, th- this character. So interesting in and of itself, but yeah. maybe could have been used as an inspiration for Brian. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. This is what happens when John goes down the rabbit hole on Google at like 11 p.m. at night. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm only messing you. This is cool. That's the thing. It seems like they took a lot of, they took a lot of liberties with actual historical figures and historical events, but not in a bad way. They they just took inspiration. changed yeah. well, them. They took inspiration. The interesting thing is him and his co-researchers were known as the Suicide Squad because of how Ooh. dangerous their rocket experiments were. That they put yeah. themselves in so much danger that they were called the Suicide Squad. There you go. There you go. One final note from me. Uh, just that beautiful song that's sung by uh, Maria and then eventually moves into the uh, the full version of the song Aurora Menino. Um, this beautiful lullaby that she's singing to uh, Josefina to comfort her. Uh, I, I just wanted to comment that on the fact that it is actually connected in directly with what she says to Josefina beforehand. When Josefina realizes that even though she's joined the church, she's never going to be seen as anything different. Uh, exactly the same way as Tiago realizing that uh, by joining the police force, it, isn't, it, it doesn't make the world see him any differently. The line that Maria says to Josefina is, um, I told you that nothing would ever do you harm. I lied, basically. That is part of the actual lullaby that she's singing to Josefina. It actually ends with the line, there's nothing that will harm you, so sleep in my arms. Um, so I, I kind of like that it's tied back in directly with uh, with Maria, it feels like something very uh, natural for a mother to do. She's calming her down. She's saying, "Remember when we were when you were young? I told you nothing could harm you." And yeah. then it reminds her of a lullaby that she would have sung to Josefina when she was young. So it's, it's re- lovely. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because it also it works quite nicely with Lewis and Brian in that Brian does not think that he needs to be afraid of Lewis. Mm-hmm. It's the Nazis um, yeah. that you know Lewis is his comforting father figure in mm-hmm. a sense saying we will protect you yeah but he's not exactly yeah. exactly gentlemen let's close out the episode so let's find out what everybody thought overall of episode 10 of uh penny dreadful city of angels chris do you want to take us off how did you what did you think of the finale of uh this season if it is confirmed we get a season two then i am very happy for it uh, because it did close some things, not in the way I wanted it, or not with the level of a uh, bang and a gusto that I was expecting. Mm-hmm. It did leave a lot of 
questions for season two that I can see them answering there. If we do not get a season two, then looking back on it, I will be not happy with this episode because it didn't close enough. There was some, if you look at it as a self-contained episode, uh, if this was episode eight or five, if this was a 20, 20 episode series and this was the midpoint, this is the end of, remember when shows used to go on that kind of midsummer arc mm-hmm. or hiatus? Yeah. So this is the end of part one and we'll move into part two of the season. Um, this would be a fantastic mm-hmm. episode because it's setting some quick points. It's answering some things beautifully done. Characters doing crazy things, not what you expect, but it just, it felt somewhat rushed. And the, 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 the biggest point to that is what we just discussed about Sister Molly and the sisters. Mm-hmm. That point being thrown and then scars and it just, it was just like, boom, boom, boom. But we need to get to this end point. So we only have an hour. Let's get to it mm-hmm. quickly. So I, I was happy-ish, I think is probably the best way I can say. I, I'll, I'll, I'll form more cohesive thoughts as we kind of digest it and move into our kind of season mm-hmm. wrap up. Um, and we discuss season two. It all really at the moment, this episode for me and my like to, or dislike hinges on whether we get a season mm-hmm. two. Because if you look at this episode versus the finale of Watchmen, mm-hmm. both trying to say potentially similar kind of overall topics, um, uh, somewhat certain themes. Mm. Um, they are two different beasts of how they and handled the finale. Absolutely, yeah. And remember, Watchmen was intended to be one season, and there's never been a suggestion this is only supposed to be one season. There's just the suggestion that it may not get renewed. <laughs> that's that's a big difference exactly. between the two, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I think for it's always for a season one, you should always work under the assumption you won't get a season two. Like, and so you can lay small threads, but you cannot lay as much railroad on the assumption that the bridge is going to be there and get you onto the other side of the the chasm. Okay. So let's see. Um, so very much I'm a 50, I'm unfortunately 50 50. It was beautifully shot, Mm -hmm. well written in certain parts, just felt quite rushed. Uh, and it led, left one too many threads open for me. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts. Interesting. Mr. Harrison, what did you think of this final episode? Yeah, I, I kind of have similar views to you. I think in discussing it more and really like watching it twice, discussing it now, I have changed. I was going to give it a 3.5, but I actually, there's more to this that I, I like than I uh, did um, after I first watched it. I didn't really know how to process it, actually, um, after the first viewing of this. Because a, a bit like yourself, uh, Chris, I, I didn't... I, I felt kind of a little cheated with Mateo. I felt there needed to be more there. Um, I kind of thought there was going to be and you know this is more to do with maybe how just been interpreting the season in terms of the supernatural i kind of did want a big shindig a bit um of santa muerta and uh and magda and i was kind of rubbing my hands seeing santa muerta right at the start i was like thinking oh here she is and <laughs> so but despite that i thought the riot was really good i think brian and molly to me those those two elements of this i i really enjoyed um and i thought were actually quite emotional um so and after discussing it now i i i, I would give this 
for sausage breakfasts, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, out of five, <laughs> um, rather than the three and a half uh, yeah. sausage breakfasts, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, out of five, that I was going to uh, give it. Mm-hmm. Those 0.5 make all the difference. Yeah. Definitely. So I, I think I, overall, I really did like this. As a Mateo, I thought Townsend's th- idea about having a thousand year Reich was a bit on the nose, um, but I liked the as you say the the zag and zig of lewis and what he did to um to brian and i thought that was genuinely shocking um and i think it tied in really nicely um with uh maria and josephine and, and the, the, a lot of parent child um relationships going on here and the the family um and just kind of the intrigue of you know did he hear magda did Tiago yeah. hear Magda or didn't he? Or did he sense it? Has he finally awakened to being um, in touch like his his mother? Mm-hmm. Um, his mother's always said he's special, he's been touched, but it's born out of, rather than protecting his father, it's been born out of uh, a really tough day at the office over the last yeah. week. Uh, what with Molly dying and... Um, realizing that his co-workers or anyone um, it, it's all against him and his family, his community and I like that it ends with him and, and Lewis I think coming together again um, or, or being together again and I feel forming a similar uh, objective as to what they need to do in season 2 um, and to be almost like this you know, Tiago having learnt from from Lewis what it is mm-hmm. to 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 do stuff sort of extracurricular uh, to being a detective. So I liked it, um, and I hope a season two comes. Um, and I think it's only worth a few watches um, to to mull over some of the the points of, of this for sure. So yeah, definitely, Derek. What did you think? I didn't like this episode the first time I watched it at all and the reason why was because i thought i knew what was going to happen i thought i had an idea of everything of the general movements of what was going to happen in the show we've we've said before we're not very good at predicting shows um but i felt it was getting to a point where i was had an idea of how the how the series was going to end and because i was expecting it to go the way i thought it was going to go i thought it was completely different and i didn't like how they closed it off but Watching it the second time, I really enjoyed the episode. I really, really enjoyed it, um, which is completely different. It's not how I would have expected. I think the reason particularly that I didn't like it first time was because the riot happened at the start, and it's a massive thing that happens, and all of those characters that are involved, and then they all disappear yeah. from that point onwards for the rest of the episode. Um, just to put a little uh, underlining, neither you or Chris mentioned in your sum up the death of Fly Rico, a major character in the series. Um, you both mentioned Brian and, and Molly's loss, but Fly Rico was massive in the series and we saw no implications for his death at all. And I thought that was something that really needed to happen when I watched the episode the first time. But I do think this is 100% written on the understanding that this is going to get a second season. Um John Logan is really well respected at Showtime. He delivered the first three seasons of Penny Dreadful from his discussions and his interviews. He says he's always been asked to come back from Showtime to deliver a show like that to them. I don't think he would have signed on for a 10 episode, uh, one run season. Um, 
in order to come back to television. He has a big movie career. He has a big stage. Uh, he writes lots of stage plays and does a lot of work on the stage. I don't think he would have come back to TV for anything less than a two-season call. He's not allowed to announce it. I know that for definite. He's certainly been working on scripts to do a second season. And if you're doing it that way, there's not very many good shows that don't end their first season on a cliffhanger if they think they have a second season. Um I can't I can't even think of one off the top of my head. Um Watchmen is the only recent one I remember seeing that had a definitive end with a tiny little cliffhanger to make up your own mind about what happened at the end of it. But everything we've watched that was the first season has ended with a massive cliffhanger at the yeah. end. The boys last year, um, The Witcher this year, where all the characters only met in the last episode, uh, leading on for your second season. Yeah, everything we've watched that's been the first season that has ended with a lead into the next season. But it did answer all the questions that were set up from episode one: who were the Hazlitt murders? What was going on with with the Nazis in in uh, in LA? Uh, they are involved. The RSECO uh, motorway being built. At the, at the end of the, of the series, all of those were the three big things that were set up at the beginning of the series. And now they've also set up, we have lots more to look forward to if we get a second season, which is, I think the purpose of a first season is to go, Hey, everybody watch our show and come back next season, basically. Um, so I think it did a great job, but didn't hit what I expected it to hit in the 10th episode of the season. Yeah. I think, and I'll, we'll discuss it more next episode. I think my biggest fear is 2020. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything you say is a hundred percent true. Everything you say makes complete sense. The way this year is yeah. going, I can honestly see them going, do you know what? We probably can't film it. So you know what? That's the end yeah. of it. And I just think then that's a horrible what. Yeah, if. absolutely. But I, again, I don't think you can plan for 2020. I don't think anybody planned for 2020. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> well, the Illuminati did and the, the reptile people, uh, but let's move on from that. Thanks very much for that, guys. Let's move on to some feedback that we got. And our first piece of feedback came in by email from uh, Jared Wilkins at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. He said, here's what I like about this final episode. We finally get to see two of Magda's incarnations in the same area as one another. Not only that, but they actually signal one another to cause the incident that leads to an all-out riot. I'm not certain if people don't recognize their similarities, or maybe they just don't wear Magda's face, but we as the viewer are at times aware of who she is and what her intentions are for the sake of dramatic irony. I wonder if next season we get to see how these personas of hers come into being. Maybe she studies the behavior and mannerisms of other people to sculpt the ideal persona, or maybe she just hunts for various women who look promising or have connections and abilities that she can work with and then to take possession of their bodies. Also, how is Magda able to enter the cemetery? Like, how is she able to stand on hallowed ground? There are loads of interesting questions about Magda, actually, aren't there? Yeah, that is. So I mean, we yeah. saw her in a cemetery previously mm -hmm. from the bus mm -hmm. that Maria Vega was on. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. Perhaps because both herself and Santa Morta deal with the dead, uh, maybe hallowed ground isn't the same thing for them. You know, the, maybe there's no relation between them and and uh, and. A cemetery being hallowed ground potentially but really interesting points there jared um i'm really intrigued about what we're going to see from that character in season two and what more they can pull in what more uh ideas they can deal with with uh with the idea of magda and, and the idea of what natalie dormer can do next season as well uh, mm -hmm. i think it's been really interesting this season yeah definitely i always thought that she hunted women either there's some kind of 
sort of empty corpse or something, know. you know, kind of like sort of a skin mm. left as she's kind of consumed them. Um, but certainly we know... Supernatural over the last yeah, it was. Yeah, I know. Um, certainly um, she is the biological T2 because she can separate and merge at, at will. So, exactly. Um, or whether she just, yeah, forms that shape. But I had always thought that she would have a violent streak so she hunts for the the look and um, and that yeah we ultimately just see natalie dorma or magda um as the audience but then obviously other people aren't in the show absolutely yeah no, very very interesting um jared continues i think it's very clever writing that magda was by the end of the, of the last episode losing ground with all three of her marks dr Kraft wouldn't take a charge against all the non-germans non-whites and join the nazi party councilman townsend failed to get his father to back the motorway and mateo is welcoming back into the arms of his loving family in one singular motion which unfortunately was the di- lynching of diago which seemed to be part of her plan but also far outside of her scope of events she murders fly rico and hands the mantle of pachuca leader to mateo she starts a riot that causes the police to enforce martial law and causes the rest of the city to fear the chicanos allowing townsend to go ahead and building his motorway through Be- belvedere heights and she causes dr Kraft's family to be attacked by the Chica- chicanos setting him on a path to take up the nazi party as a way of protecting his children from those he now fears it is one very swift move from from uh, the alliance but i think that's partially what it is it is the kind of alliance of the empire (laughs) maybe the empire too but the alliance of rio and elsa and frank all being in that one place at the wood time almost made that sphere of influence even bigger than it had been when it's just her uh, whispering in the ear of one person basically so it might be it might be that again there's so many things about her powers that we just don't know but i just think the idea that all of them being in one location at one time feels epic really great finally jared says regarding brian Koenig's end i had a feeling that he wasn't going to live past the end of the season i didn't think that it would be lewis that would kill him though but I understand how he felt the necessity and his sense of duty to prevent Brian from becoming an early Oppenheimer. I love how it seems the director alluded to George's end at Lenny's hands from the book of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck when Lewis tells him to look up at the star. That was very poetic. Hope you guys enjoyed the season as much as I did. And I'll be back to contribute more thoughts to your wrap up episode. Take care and stay healthy. P.S. If you had to share a bunk bed with your sibling, which bed would you choose? Always choose the top. top. Absolutely. <laughs> because just remember, children are disgusting and pee falls oh, down. Well, that's wow. the other thing. That's the thing. Hot air rises, so farts mean, okay, that you're going to... But, yeah, any leakage and then you're... you're mm. Yeah, top bunk. Wow. That's, yeah. uh, that's fascinating. <laughs> Since neither of you did actually have bunk beds to I share did with have a bunk bed. No. I had did a bunk you? bed. Did you? I did. But it didn't have a bottom bunk. It was one of those ones oh, well, that had the wardrobe. So you yeah. climbed up. It was like having a bunk bed. All right. Kind of. It's um, sharing stop with Stop ruining my childhood um, <laughs> sleeping patterns. Uh, <laughs> and the desk underneath and all yeah. that. But it like had the cubby hole at the back that you go and hide. That's, so that's like, kind of cool. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, that's not as cool as sharing a bunk bed like I did with, uh, with two of my brothers uh, at different times. Uh, I got the top bunk once and bottom bunk at another time. So I- I've done both. And which so. would you prefer? Um, 
I was happy on both, actually. But when I was much younger, being on the upper bunk was better. I wouldn't Wait. really prefer either of them. I, did, I didn't mind uh, either either side. Uh, just having a bed in a house of seven people um, is, was good enough for me, to be honest. <laughs> I yeah, eventually liked having my points. own bed, bed, not a bunk bed. So absolutely. So <laughs> as you grow up, still top bunk, because if you threw up off the side of it from a lot of alcohol... It's in your brother's face. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> no, not my brother's. I would, uh, I would punch you quite heavily for that one. So would mine, but nonetheless, yeah. Thanks so much for that, Jared. That's really good of you to send your feedback. Hopefully we'll hear from you on the, on the next episode. Yeah, thanks so much, Jared. Really good to, to get your thoughts there. I hope we've answered the bunk beds uh, for you as well. <laughs> yes. Cheers, Jared. And yeah, I'll share more of my bunk bed theories about liquid falling and hot air rising in our next episode of Bunk Beds. Oh, yeah, we should do a podcast, the Bunk Bed podcast. Okay. Let's see if that one lasts. Let's see if that lasts. lasts. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, we also have some feedback over on our Twitter handle at TV Pod Industries. Um, first one from Terence. He goes, I really needed a box of Kleenex for the finale. Uh, yes, it was. There were some sad moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the whole, um, Brian and Lewis thing, absolutely. And I, I even with, with Molly as oh, well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And finally, Anna as well. Our good friend Anna says, these final episodes, but particularly the last one, oof, my knees are buckling. Mm. Um, so it really had a, an emotional hit, it seems like, uh, for, for this final episode. Yeah. And it certainly pulls on some pretty sort of strong, uh, themes of protection of parents or parent figure. Um, you could argue with Lewis and, and Brian mm-hmm. and, and ultimately, um, you know, that trust inherent within that. Um, so it, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it, it was uh, a bit of a blubby one uh, from here. And I actually also do, it's, I keep sort of having to tell myself off that I'm not including Fly Rico in this, mm-hmm. which is a real shame because he's such a great character. Absolutely. Um, but thanks, Terence uh, and Anna, yeah, for, thanks, for those uh, tweets. Really good. Yeah, really good to send them in. Yes, thank you so much for all those tweets. And remember, if you want to get that feedback in, get it in soon and we'll all your thoughts on the whole season because we want to hear you. We want to discuss it. But it's not going to be the next episode because you know why? Episode 500 is mm-hmm. coming. And you know what that means? It's time for a drink because we got to celebrate with pre-drink before we go into a 500th episode. So let's head over to the Penny Dreadful Pub Quiz. Yes, and a little aperitif, I feel, um, all at the Penny Dreadful Pub Quiz. It has been a tragic week. Uh, and not only do we need to spend it with, uh, dead people in the dead zone of the cemetery with dead deities, uh, sort of tapping us and breathing on our necks, but we need to have a good bottle of tequila mm-hmm. to really neck back, uh, to help us deal with this. So, the dreadful pub quiz this this week comes from your local cemetery with a bottle of tequila. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about that? <laughs> Never thought I would say that now. Um, the question for episode 10 is, what sauce is Benny Berman cooking up at the Vega family residence? And what recipe does he promise to give to Mama Maria Vega? Mm-hmm. So yes, two food related answers here 
Just to go say that again, what sauce is Benny Berman cooking up at the Vega family residence? And what recipe does he promise to Mama Maria Vega as he leaves uh, to ultimately take Brian to his death. Um, oh, yes, right. that changes that kind of scene very differently. Um, so yeah, answers on a postcard or by email, preferably to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Um, and you can start sending, if you decided to wait for this final one and send in uh, all 10 answers um, for each of the 10 episodes, then you can do that now. We've got an extra week and, and a bit before uh, our 501st um, <laughs> episode and podcast yeah. where we'll do a recap and we will also pull the winner from the hat for uh, the Penny Dreadful pub quiz. Yes. Absolutely. And if you're missing any questions, pop over to the website, tvpodcastindustries.com. You'll see all the questions on there. Um, Pop, yeah, you have a bit of time to get in all the answers, so uh, so pop them in when you're doing your rewatch, potentially. Yes, thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We hope you stay subscribed to the podcast as we move into our next couple of shows and our thoughts for the wrap-up of this season and everything we've covered to date. If you enjoy what you hear, why not share it with your friends? Because sharing the podcast is sharing the love. Not only just your friends, make sure you share it with your family, especially your granddads and your grandmas. If you've listened to more than just Penny Dreadful Season, City of Angels, you'll understand why I talk about grannies and grandmas a lot. I don't know whether you will understand. You'll know that he does. but (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. If you want to hear more of my weird accents, you can go over and subscribe (laughs) at tvpodcastindustries.com to all of our feeds. Make sure you do. Additionally, help us keep the lights on. Go to patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustries and do anything you can and get exclusive access Two podcasts like Captain America Civil War, our rewatch retrospective, which was an exclusive to patreon.com slash TV podcast industry. So donate anything you can and help us keep these podcast servers going. Absolutely. And that's a really good opportunity to say thank you to all the people that have been supporting us over on Patreon, our wonderful Patreons, uh, Claire, Stuart, Oren, John, Into the Night, Moon Knight podcast, Amy, Steve, Robert, Jessica, Rich, Alice, Jenny V. And Cassandra for all of your support over the last, uh, last few months since we started our Patreon. And we have two brand new Patreons. We have Kale Hensley and Franca Monteveco, who both joined supporting us uh, during our Penny Dreadful City of Angels podcast. So thanks so much to all of you for your support. Yes, guys. Thank you so much. It reminds us that you enjoy what we do because we love it. But remember, if you cannot support us financially, you can support us by just like giving us a like, subscribing, or you know what? Even just giving us an old review because sharing the podcast and telling the world is also sharing the love. Yeah. Great to have you on board, Franca and Kale. So good of you. Uh, thanks so much for becoming a patron. Uh, and welcome to the gang of other patrons as well. It's really appreciated mm-hmm. um, the the support uh, to help uh, us with all the 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 podcast action uh, that we that we do. So great to have you both on board with the rest of the guys and gals. Thank you so much everyone for being with us we'll be back next week with our 500th that's right five zero 
Zero. I'm turning into the kite <laughs> from Sesame Street. 500th episode uh, of uh, TV podcast uh, industry. Yeah, absolutely. After that, Ray from Into the Night, the only and the best Moon Knight podcast, will return to discuss the full season of Penny Dreadful City of Angels, plus all your thoughts, plus the pub quiz wrap-up. Mm-hmm. And even more importantly, we'll tell you what we're going to be covering next, because we had a bit of a shock this week when uh, The Boys Season 2 was announced <laughs> as much, much later as we thought it was going to be. It was supposed to originally be out on the 26th of July, uh, one year from the re- from the date the first season was released. It's actually coming out on 9th of September. Uh, so we have space for possibly another show in there. We're going to discuss that offline and uh, work out what it's going to be by the time we come back for our 501st episode. But we're looking forward to our 500th episode. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you then. For our 501st episode, will we don Stormtrooper outfits? <laughs> the and we could form the part of the Irish the Battalion. Empire. Yeah, the, the TVPI <laughs> 501st. I like it. Yeah. Big. I don't know if the, the, the 501st will allow me to do really, really, really bad German accents. In <laughs> a Stormtrooper <laughs> outfit. <laughs> I think it might be too much on the nose. But, but that's because you've got to work both a German accent and the electronic uh, through the yeah. through the electronic mm. uh, faceplate. Technically, Chris, <laughs> we don't allow you to do that, and you're still here. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye. Yes, thank you so much, guys. Speak to you soon. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us. Great. It's always a pleasure uh, speaking with you. Remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep sausaging. <laughs> I was sure that was going to be keep crying for the finale uh, episode, not keep sausaging. <laughs> you can cry as well. <laughs> okay. That's why I was teeing up keep all the sausages. While you sausage. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye, Bye. sausages. Bye.